just want to draw from Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Here in a moment, I'm going to read that, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you bless your people. Help me, God, to deliver your word <clears throat> in great authority that I stand upon, which is you, Jesus. I pray that you would help me to declare clearly and fluidly what you would have to say through me to your people, God. I pray that you would encourage people, that you would challenge people, that you would bring hope that you would bring a greater strength, a greater faith in your people. Help us, God, here today to stand upon your word, to stand upon your promises, not to stand upon what man says or what our feelings say to us. Help us not to walk by sight, but help us to walk by faith here today, God. Increase our faith. Increase our faith in you and in what you say towards your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Before I do read in verse 13, if you recall, um, at the beginning of, of chapter 24, um, Mary Magdalene and some other ladies had discovered that Jesus, the, the tomb was, was empty. Jesus was not there. They went and told the 11 disciples. Uh, Peter and a couple others went to the tomb. They saw that the tomb was empty, and they all pondered what had happened. What had happened? And there's this interchange that Luke tells us about a conversation between two disciples of Christ. They're not the 11, uh, one of the 11 disciples, but it's two individuals who are disciples of Christ who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Luke tells us about this in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And Jesus says, what kind of conversation are you having? What are you talking about? And they say, sir, are you a stranger to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened? And Jesus begins to talk to them and says, no, tell me what has happened. And so these two men begin to tell Jesus of the events of that weekend as to Jesus of Nazareth, verse 19 says, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And they told Jesus how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, Today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Verse 25. And here's what I want to concentrate on here today. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And pay special attention to verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They come to the village of Emmaus. The men compel Jesus to stay with them that, him that, them that evening, to have dinner with them. Jesus prays over the food. And at that moment, after he prays, their eyes are opened. 
they finally realize this is Jesus who we've been speaking to the whole time, and he vanishes. And he, he's completely gone from the room. He vanishes. And the men said to one another after he vanished in verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Further on, Jesus appears to the 11 disciples. And in verse 44, he says this, these were words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Israel. I want to speak to you today about the scriptures, Jesus, and the spirit of truth. The scriptures, Jesus, and the spirit of truth. When we look all around us and what we are facing, both on a local level, a national level, and a global level, it seems like everything around us is on shaky ground. There is much uncertainty, there is much fear, there is much bewilderment and misunderstanding, there's misinformation, there's all kinds of things, information changes from day to day, and there is all kinds of even um, whispers of uprising and um, individuals upset with the government. There's all kinds of shakiness around us. There is a shaking around us. And we look at what's happening in the government, we look at what's happening in our local communities, and there is a shaking that's occurring for every single individual, for every single individual. There's much uncertainty, and there are questions about the future. And more than ever, in times like this, we need a firm foundation. As the people of God, we need a firm foundation to stand upon so that we are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, with every opinion of man, with all the voices swirling around us, we must be founded, firmly footed and founded upon a foundation that does not shake, that does not crack, that will not crumble. And the foundation I want to speak about here today is the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God, which is the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, the voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. All flesh, you and me, the government, uh, the money of man, all the power and strength represented in the government, all flesh, all flesh is as grass and the loveliness of the flower. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. You and I, you and I, we're as grass, we're as a flower. We wither up and we will fade. This life will wither up and fade. Everything around us is temporary, transitory, and coming to an end. But he ends with this, but... The word of our God stands forever. Have you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed by standing on God's word? 
Have you ever in your life, in serving Jesus Christ, have you ever been disappointed or let down by trusting in the Word of God? Never. You've never been let down. You've never been let down. Though you may go through hard times and struggles and affliction, His Word stands true. People come and go. Governments come and go. If you put your trust in princes and governments as they die, so does your trust die. But if you put your trust in God and you put your trust in His Word, you will stand forever just as His Word. And it is His Word that we must stand upon. And I want to draw our attention to the fact that our risen Lord, we just celebrated Easter last week. We celebrated the fact that Jesus had risen from the grave. And I want to concentrate on here, to, here today how that Jesus as the risen Lord, as glor in his glorified state, his glorified body, how that even in that state, he used the scriptures to open the understanding of his disciples. He used the scriptures to open their understanding and to bring them to a full under a knowledge of the truth, which is in Jesus Christ. He used the scriptures. And you just, you just uh, heard me read from John, uh, Luke chapter 24, how that he joined these two individuals who were on their walk to Emmaus. This walk was seven miles. So it's about a two and a half hour walk. And let me tell you, I would have loved to be one of those disciples. I would have been, loved to be one of those disciples to hear the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth, to hear the greatest rabbi, Jewish rabbi to ever walk the earth, and to hear Jesus expertly expound and explain the Jewish scriptures and allow him to bring full clarity to what was once foggy before. And Jesus, as in his glorified state, after he's written from the dead, he is still looking to and using the scriptures to convince them and bring them to full understanding of what has just happened and what Jesus has accomplished for them. He uses the scriptures. I would have loved to be on that seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And those men, when Jesus disappeared, they said, oh, it makes sense now. Were not our hearts burning as he spoke to us on that road? Their hearts were burning over the fact that they were coming to a greater understanding and revelation of the word of God, which stands forever. The word of God, which stands forever. And Jesus was speaking of himself. He was speaking of himself. He was drawing from scriptures that were prophetic in regards to the Messiah. I, I just would have loved to hear him expound on all these various scriptures of the Old Testament to speak of himself and how the Christ must suffer and rise again. And they said, oh, our hearts were burning within us as he was sharing this truth. He was sharing this truth from the word of God. He shows up to the 11 disciples later on. And what, what, is the, what is it that he uses to explain to them what has just happened and what, what um, is currently happening with Jesus revealing himself to him? And he used the scriptures and he told them these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law. And then in verse 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. 
So I want to do the same thing that Jesus did. I, as a pastor, as a pastor teacher, as one who declares the gospel, I want to do the same thing that Jesus did. I want to do that every day of my life, week in, week out, every Sunday, every Wednesday, anytime I open the Word of God, I want to use it so that people can come to a greater understanding and knowledge of God and a greater trust in His promises. Jesus Himself and all the apostles, they used the Scriptures to preach the Gospel and to point to who Christ was. And I want to do the same. So today... I tell, I speak to you about the scriptures, Jesus, and the spirit of truth. I have three points I'd like to share with you. Number one, the truth that God reveals to us is inextricably tethered to the word of God. The truth that God reveals to us is inextricably tethered to the word of God. Now, we call the word of God the Bible. That's the Word of God, the Bible. The Word of God is anything that which has proceeded from the mind or from the mouth of God. Everything Jesus said was the Word of God. And we know that He was the Word who uh, became flesh. He Himself was the very manifestation of the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and was with God. Jesus was the Word, made manifest towards all of us. God's Word and God's truth are the same thing. Now, I said that God, uh, the truth that God reveals is inextricably tethered to the Word of God. Inextricably tethered to the Word of God. And when I say God's Word, I mean God's absolute truth. The Bible is our source, our foundation, and our authority for living. The Bible is your source of truth. It is your source. Um, when, whenever, you, you, let's talk about the medical community. A doctor knows a whole lot, but whenever he faces a tough case at, at, uh, the hospital, at the, at the, uh, doctor's office, they will still turn to medical books for reference. They will still look and view medical books. They'll look to it as a source and as a help. And, and as an aid to them to determine what is, what is, what is this that I'm, I'm looking at, what I'm facing, what I'm, what I'm dealing with in this patient. And, and it's the same with the Word of God. It is the source of truth. It's the, the authoritative source for, to understand everything that is going on around us. It is the source of truth. It is the wellspring for all things pertaining to truth. It is, it is not philosophy. It is not the government. It is not humanist, humanistic uh, um, uh, thoughts and musings. It is the Word of God, which is the source of truth, the absolute source of truth. The Word of God, the Bible, is our foundation. It's what you stand upon. It's what you reference and you look to as your source, and then is what you stand upon as a foundation. When everything else around you is shaking, you can go to the Word of God, God's Word, the oracles of God, Old Testament, New Testament, and you can stand upon it, and you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be ashamed for having trusted the Word of God. And to trust the Word of God is to trust God. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures he wrote the scriptures for us to receive the nature of God, the instruction of God. The word of God 
standing on the word of God is standing in God, standing on God. So we stand upon the Bible as our foundation for living and as our authority for living. It is our authority for truth. Anything I say to you, anything I say to you as a preacher, it is not of my own authority. Does it come from my own goodness, my own righteousness, my own holiness? Everything I say comes from an authority that is founded in the word of God. It's founded in God himself. That is the authority that we speak from. And so that's why you can come to a particular situation and in the weakness of your flesh, you don't know what to say, how to say it, but the Holy Spirit can give you words to speak that come and originate and are flowing from the word of God and those promises that you stand upon. When you speak to a situation, you give advice to somebody, it's not your own authority. It's what's coming from God. And that is what you speak from the authority of the word of God. Now you, you may, you may say, what about the truths of scripture or the things spoken of in scripture, which do not directly speak to my life circumstance, such as what about when I need direction on, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I move? How, how should I respond to this? What decision should I make? We go to the word of God for daily living for everything. But there are specific things and circumstances in our life which the Bible may not specifically speak to. And that is why we have prayer. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God. And when we go in prayer, the Holy Spirit living in us speaks to us and intercedes for us. And when we go to the Lord in prayer, it is still the Word of God that He will speak to you. Okay? When you read the word of God, through his word, God is communi communicating one of two things, or he's always communicating two things, but he's communicating his will, he's communicating his nature, okay? He's communicating his will, he's communicating his nature. And so, when we go to the word of God, it gives us specific instructions for specific behavior and how to respond to specific scenarios, okay? Okay? <clears throat> And so it tells us how to live and how to respond and what to cultivate and what to put on and what to put off. The Word of God tells us that and instructs us in that. And, 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 but it also declares to us the nature of God, what God's nature is, who He is in His absolute being, in the core of who He is. So like when you read the Old Testament, not every scripture in the Old Testament is applicable to you. What God told Saul or what God told Old Testament Israel is not applicable to you at all times. God spoke to a specific people for a specific time. And oftentimes we view the Old Testament, uh, we should view the Old Testament that way. But you can still read a dialogue between Abraham and God. And you can, though God is not telling you the same thing he told Abraham, he's still communicating to you his nature. He's still communicating to you who he is by the way he interacted with men throughout history. So though you may, you may uh, not, not know specific instruction on how to respond or the decisions you should make, you can make decisions based upon what is God's nature as declared in the word of God. And furthermore, the word of God declares, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and he will give to all. 
And the only reason I can go to God to receive that wisdom when I don't know how to make a, a decision is because the Word of God tells me to do that. The Word of God tells me, go to God, ask for wisdom. He'll lead you and direct you on what decisions you ought to make. But I don't know that I should do that except that the Word of God has told me to do that. I must make myself subject to the Word of God and what it tells me to do. And so if the Word of God uh, doesn't tell me, take this job, move this place, marry that person, I can go to Him in His presence and say, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Your Word says... If I lack wisdom, if I lack wisdom, I can come to you and ask. And you who give liberally and without reproach, you will give me wisdom. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly the decision I, I make. Your word doesn't specify these decisions before me and which decision I should make. But your word does say, you will give me wisdom. You will give me wisdom on how to behave, what to say, what to do, how to deal with this situation. What I should do with my money? Should I buy this or should I sell that? Whatever it is, whatever it is, ask the Lord for wisdom. And the word of God says he will give you wisdom because he gives liberally and without reproach. He gives more than you need. He gives liberally. He gives an excess amount of wisdom. And he's no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of persons. He gives to you without reproach. And so we go to the Word of God for His will, that is specific instruction, and then we go to the Word of God to, to observe and to, re, and to understand God's nature, God's nature. And so just remember this, when you're reading especially the Old Testament, though God may not be giving you specific instruction, He is declaring to you and communicating to you His nature in His interaction with men throughout history and throughout the Old Testament. And always observe that. What is God saying? What is he declaring concerning himself? And discerning and interpreting and reading this, how does it apply to me? How does it apply to me? You see, it's interesting how God throughout the ages has always used different means to communicate his truth. He has always used different methods, if you will, to communicate a revelation of himself. He has spoken to different men in different ways. And, and he deals with people in different ways. And the way that Jesus ministered to people was not always the same. The way he healed people was not always the same. For one blind man, he spoke and he was healed. For another blind man, he made mud. He put in the guy's eyes and his eyes were healed. God doesn't always do the same thing the same way all the time. And we can't box God in on, this is how you move. This is how you communicate. This is how you deal with people, God. No, we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament how God deals with people, how he communicates himself, how he declares himself in all kinds of ways. The way he declares himself is multifaceted, but what he declares never changes. The truth that he declares, that never changes changes. So the how, how he declares himself is multifaceted, multifaceted. But the what, that is the truth that he declares is always the same. And that's why the Bible said in Isaiah 40, your word stands forever. Your word stands forever. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. Who he was, for who he has been for all of eternity is who he is right now and will always be. He has never changed. His truth has never changed. The word of God stands 
forever. And so don't box God in on how he speaks to you or how he speaks to others. You know, he, God speaks to people through visions and dreams. He spoke to Cornelius in uh, the book of Acts uh, to call Peter. And then he, he spoke to Peter with, through a vision. And, and, and all kinds of various ways throughout the scriptures, how we see God ministered his truth in different ways, but that truth never changed. That never changed. So don't box God in on how he moves and how he deals and how he ministers to people, how he ministers to you. Just be receptive to the truth he's going to communicate. And so that the truth that God reveals to us is inextricably tethered to the word of God. You always go to the word of God as your source, as your foundation, and your authority for living. Don't turn to anything else. If someone does share with you a vision or a dream, if somebody says, the Lord is saying to me this, it must line up with the word of God. It must line up with the nature of God as he revealed himself in scripture. I'm okay with God speaking and moving in any way he likes. He can speak to me through nature, through a child, through a prophetic word, whatever he wants to do, he can speak to me. But whatever what is spoken through that vessel, through that person, it needs to line up. It must line up with the truth of the word of God. It must line up with the explicit instructions. It must line up with the nature of God. God's not going to tell you in order to admonish someone, God's never going to tell you, you go over there and you slap that person right in the face, literally. God's not going to tell you to do that. That's not in God's nature to do that because we know his nature. And so there's people doing all kinds of things in the name of the Lord. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, the truth of the word of God, not the method, not the method. I'm not concerned about the method. Although sometimes method can detract from the message. But God can speak to people and through people in all kinds of various ways. But what is spoken, it must be tethered to the word of God. It must be tethered to the principles. It must be tethered to the instructions. It must be tethered to the nature of God as he reveals himself through scripture. If ever you ask me for advice or an opinion, my what I filter my response to anyone in counseling to give you advice or my, my opinion, anytime I respond to anybody or the way I view uh, um, life events uh, or current events, I always filter it through the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? What does God say? What is His nature? What are His thoughts towards us as His creation? And that will affect the way we give advice, our opinions on things, and the way we view circumstances around us. Number two, you cannot understand God's truth except that, or except with the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand God's truth except with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our understanding is dull without the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, moving in our minds to allow us to discern and receive the revelation of God's truth. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. In Psalms 119.18, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You cannot understand God's truth in your own power and strength Flesh and blood cannot reveal to you what is spiritual. So it is the work of the Holy Spirit 
who dwells within every single believer, it is his desire, it is his task to teach you that truth which is declared from the word of God. And you cannot understand or discern or grow in that understanding and come to revelation of that truth except by the help of the Holy Spirit. And even in our scripture here, it was Jesus who opened their eyes. He used the scriptures, but it was ultimately, it was Jesus who had to open their eyes to see it. He supernaturally allowed them to hear it, yes, with their ears, with their physical ears, but then with the eyes of their heart to receive it and see it in their spirits. Jesus opened their eyes. He opened their eyes. And as he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit down and the Holy Spirit came in the same character as Jesus, as the helper, as the comforter, as the teacher, as the teacher. Jesus said of the helper in John 16, he would be the spirit of truth and he would guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit's task in the believer's life, in your life, he desires, he yearns to lead you into all truth. He wants to guide you into all truth. That's his desire. That is the Holy Spirit within you. He yearns for truth. That is his divine mandate from Jesus. He's called the spirit of truth. He's there to help you. He's like a tutor right next to you, showing you and teaching you and revealing to you and getting greater clarity as you yield yourself continuously, continuously, and you offer yourself up and you surrender the, the, uh, the hardness of your flesh and the dullness of your flesh and you surrender your lack of faith. You know, it's very important when you sit down to read the word of God that number one, you say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what I'm about to read. Because I can't in my own power. And the own, my own power of my flesh, I cannot understand it. It can't be revealed to me. Holy Spirit, speak to me in this moment. And then you have to say, oh God, give me the faith to believe it. Give me the faith, Holy Spirit, that when you speak it to me, you're trying to communicate it to me, help me to receive it. You see continuously throughout the Gospels how Jesus was grieved because they were so slow of heart to believe. They were so slow of heart to believe. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is talking to Cleopas and this other individual, and his response is, O oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. We have a tendency to be on the side of disbelief and to cling to our flesh, and to cling to what we know in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit says, let me teach you, let go of your own presuppositions, let go of your own cunningness, let go of your own smarts, let go of your disbelief, and just trust what I'm trying to communicate to you. Just let me speak to you. Let, let me remove the dullness of your heart. Let me remove the slowness of your heart to believe. And just as a child, be taught by the Holy Spirit. Be taught by the Holy Spirit. My, my children, they're, they're small and they're learning things every single day. But, but their ability to grow and to learn is dependent upon their willingness to receive from their mother and their father. To, to be teachable and to trust what mom and dad say. To Whatever they say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to trust mom and dad. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And you cannot understand God's truth 
the Word of God, His Scriptures. You cannot ex understand it except by the help of the Holy Spirit. And, and neither can you communicate it, and neither can the person you're trying to witness to. They can't receive it except by the help of the Holy Spirit. When you speak the Word of God, you speak it in the authority of God Himself, not in your own, because it's the Holy Spirit who comes upon that Word and makes it active upon the person who's receiving it. The Holy Spirit wrote the Word of God, and it's in His authority that we speak it, and the person who's going to receive it, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who comes to convict of the truth of the Word of God. So let us be taught by the Holy Spirit. Let us be quick to believe what He says so that we can come to deeper revelation of God's truth. I want my heart to burn within me every time I open the Word of God. I want God's truth to be real to me in deeper and greater clarity than I have ever seen it before. And it's dependent upon our reception, our openness to the Holy Spirit, and believing it in faith. Number three, and lastly, ultimately, the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals is intended to glorify Jesus and make us more like Him. Ultimately, ultimately, the Scriptures... And what the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it's the, the ultimate intention and goal is to glorify Jesus through your life and make you more like him. To make you conformed to his nature. That is the intention of the scriptures. That's the intention of prayer. That's the intention when we come to Bible reading, when we go to church. It's God, I want more of you. Be glorified in me, through me. Let me see you in a greater light and a greater holiness, a greater awesomeness, a greater majesty. And then let me become more like you, Jesus. Let me become more like you, conformed to your nature, to your person. When uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In Matthew chapter 16. Who, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you're Jeremiah. And he says, but who do you say that I, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. Who do you say that I am? It's not good enough just to recognize Jesus as a good teacher. It's not good enough just to recognize him as the son of God, <coughs> as the Messiah. It's not good enough just to recognize that he was a real person. He did live a life, a sinless life, that he did die, and that he did rise again. It's not good enough that you acknowledge that. It's what is, what is absolutely necessary that it is reality in your life. And, and, and Peter said, you are the Christ. And it wasn't just some knowledge in his head. He had come to a place of absolute trust and belief that you are the Savior, you are Lord. And Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. It's the desire of the Father. It's the desire of the Holy Spirit to exalt Jesus towards us and to conform us to his nature. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, but their minds were blinded. He's speaking of Old Testament Israel. 
For until this day even, the same veil, veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There is so much richness in that scripture. In those four verses, it's just, that makes my heart burn right there. Just the richness of scripture, the reality of God's word, and, and how it interprets itself, and how it fulfills itself, and how it points to so many beautiful things. He's saying, the Jews and those without Christ, they have a veil. There's a fogginess between them. They're not able to see who, who Jesus is. When they read the Old Testament, it really doesn't make sense because it only makes sense if you have Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that was what Jesus told the two men on the walk to Emmaus and when he told his 11 disciples. Listen, and he, and he spoke of and he used the scriptures to say what Moses what the prophets and what the Psalms spoke of, it's fulfilled in me. It's all about me, Jesus was saying. It's all about me. It's pointing to me. And that veil is removed. That darkness and that, that blindfold over our eyes is removed when Christ is placed into the picture. We come to Christ. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When we turn to God, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty in the Son of God who was slain for you and I. When I realized He was the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when I come to the realization it's all about Jesus fulfilling these scriptures, it's all about Jesus who the prophets were talking about, everything we see in the types and symbols of the Old Testament tabernacle, and all the implements and, and, and the veil and everything there, when we see that it's pointing to Jesus, there is liberty. There's liberty from my sin. There's liberty from death. There's a freedom from the judgment of God. And I am made new in Christ Jesus. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now with the veil removed with Jesus. Now that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the Savior through faith in Him. That veil is removed and now I can stand with God face to face with the Holy Spirit dwelling within me as the teacher and I can be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, from lower glory to greater glory. I can stand before God, stand before His Word, be in the presence of Jesus with nothing between us, I can communicate with God through the mediator, which is Jesus Christ, and have fellowship with the Creator. I can approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive help in a time of need. And I can be changed from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's desire, God's desire is not just to fill your head with a lot of facts and truth from the Word of God. His desire is to make God, to make Jesus all the more real and glorified 
through you, in you, towards you, and ultimately conform you to Jesus Christ. That's his desire. From glory to glory, as you behold Jesus, whatever you behold, you will become. Whatever you behold in life, you will become. You behold Jesus. You keep your eyes steadfast on Jesus. The scriptures point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. And I seek Jesus, and he's glorified to me. And then I am made conformed to his nature. That is the ultimate goal of your life. That Jesus would be glorified through you and that you would become more and more like him. Transformed from glory to glory. That veil removed and you can see Jesus face to face. You can be in the very presence of God. And that's what Jesus did. He used the scriptures to point to himself and he said, I am the Christ. I am the fulfillment of all these things. I am everything you need. I am everything you need. I am the word which has become flesh. I've dwelt among you. I am the fulfillment of all this. I am the one that you must cast your gaze upon. We also read in John chapter 16, how that the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Truth, He would not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will glorify Jesus. For He will take of what is Jesus's and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit does not want to glorify Himself. He wants to glorify Jesus. He will take the things of Jesus and make them real to you. Make them real to you. So whenever you sit down to read the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, historical books, books of the prophets, New Testament, the letters, whatever it is you read, the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus more real to you. That's his, that's his desire. If that doesn't happen, what is the point? What is the point? Just to fill your head with more knowledge? Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I'm not here to read the Word of God or, and declare to you so that we can be full of more knowledge and be smarter in the things of God. No, we want to be more like Jesus. We want to be representatives of Jesus. We want to see Jesus in a greater light, in a greater glory, in a greater majesty. So when you come to these scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Your heart burns. Jesus is made real and you're made more like him. And God is pleased with that. That's what he wants to see in our lives, in our families, in our church. It is the agenda and it is the pleasure of the Holy Spirit to glorify Jesus to you and to make you like him. The Holy Spirit is preparing us as God's bride, as Jesus' bride, to present to him a spotless bride without spot or blemish. And he does that by conforming us to the Son of God, to Jesus. To Jesus. I close with this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. This was Paul's desire. Paul, who had, who had been taken into the third heaven, these great revelations that he'd received, more revelations than anybody else. Paul, Paul had experienced all these marvelous things. He'd also experienced an immense amount of suffering and affliction for the cause of the Lord. But this was Paul's greatest desire at the end of his life. This is what he desired more than anything, more than anything. And this should be our desire today. He says in Philippians 3, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things 
loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, whatever I accomplished in Judaism, whatever I attained, whatever accolades, whatever achievements, whatever knowledge, I considered as rubbish, as dung, in exchange for the prize that is Jesus Christ. For all things I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And here's the last bit, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to his death. <coughs> conformed to his life, conformed to his death. Death to self, death to Stephen. I want to see Jesus in a greater light. I want to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all things. I count everything as rubbish. It's all worth losing if I can gain Jesus Christ so that I may know him the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and that ultimately, if by any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, we celebrated last week, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And our destiny as well is that we, we shall attain the resurrection of the dead. And it's only through life in Jesus Christ. The scriptures, the Holy Spirit, they point us to Christ. Jesus himself, as the glorified Lord, he used the scriptures to open the, under, the eyes of understanding of these disciples to lead them to the reality of who he was. That's only accomplished by the help, by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. He is faithful to do that. I want you to know, I want you to be encouraged. When you go to open the Word of God, it's an exciting time. God will speak to you. He's already spoken through His Word. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, He will speak it to you individually. He'll make it real to you so that your heart will burn within you. And so that ultimately, you will see Jesus in a greater glory and light. And you'll become more like him. That is God's desire for your life. I encourage you, pursue Jesus with all your life. Make yourself subject <coughs> to the word of God, which is sure and which will stand forever. Everything around us is shaking, but the word of God will stand forever. All flesh is as grass and it fades as the flower. All of us are coming to an end, but what God has declared and who he is, it will stand forever. Stand upon him. Stand upon his word. Make yourself subject and conform to his word, to his nature, and supremely to his son, Jesus Christ. And we will be that spotless bride where we can be presented to the groom, who is Jesus Christ, so that we may be a pleasing people and ultimately attain that resurrection and be with him forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless your people. Holy Spirit, I cannot do this. This cannot be made real in my life, in the life of the here, except by your power. This is a supernatural life. This is not just information we fill our heads with. 
It is spiritual things from on high, which are spiritually discerned. So help us, spirit of truth, to make the word of God a reality in our life. Make the word living in our life. Because your word is living. Let us come to the word of God, not as a dusty book, but as you, having breathed your very word, your very presence, your very nature into this so that we can receive this life you have for us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be subject to it. Help us to be teachable. Help us to receive it by faith and to believe what the Word has said. Oh God, ultimately make us like you, Jesus. If we are not like you, Jesus, we have failed. If we are not conformed to you, if we do not know you in the power of your resurrection, if we are not in fellowship with you, with your sufferings, and conformed to your death, if we are not conformed to your entire person, oh God, we've missed it. So make us more like you, Jesus. Accomplish this by your power, by your might. Make us a humble, lowly people who are subject to you so that your glory can be accomplished in our lives. Let us be transformed from glory to glory to glory so that we look more like you from day to day. Today, we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.